0: Thursday, November 18th. I'm Guy Adami. I'm here with Dan Nathan. This is MKT Call. We call it Market Call. Welcome to today's afternoon edition. We break down macro calls. We're highlighting the biggest analyst calls of the week. And, of course, one for the road with that stud butters. Dig them. Joining us each week, CBW. That's Carter Braxtonworth from Worth Charting. And, of course, Liz Young, Wisconsin Bread from SoFi. Today's episode of Market Call is brought to you by our three presenting sponsors, FactSet, Financial Data and Analytics, powered by Tomorrow, SoFi, Get Your Money Right, all in one app, and of course, our friends at Open Exchange, Dan, because they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. And by the way, I need you all to stay tuned until the end of today's show for a special announcement. December 8th, 12 noon, live, Market Call, 2022, Outlook, Earnings, Energy, ESG, the three E's sponsored by Backset. Now, apparently, there's this song, um, Holler Back Girl or something, Holler, Things Holler. I'm not really sure what it means. I never really understood the song. I don't particularly like it. But the great Liz Young, who's with us right now, wrote a piece, Dollar, Making You Holler. Hello, Liz.
1: Hello. Yeah, it's actually dollar makes a holler, meaning Uh, the dollar uh, is hollering. Apologize. Yeah. 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 Just minor, minor detail. Uh, But the piece is about the big move in the dollar. There's been a ton of strength in the dollar. Uh, I was really talking about the last couple weeks, but there's been actually strength since earlier this year. First half of the year in the dollar was super flat, really boring. Everybody that thought the dollar was going to depreciate forever was like, I'm right and then suddenly it took off and people started to wonder why is it taking off what does it mean is it going to last so i figured we'd put a piece out on it this week one of the biggest points that i would make and this is going to overly simplify but i think that's important sometimes there's two environments when the dollar does well the first one is when the us economy is doing better than the other economies and especially the ones that are major currencies so think of the euro the yen those sorts of currencies The other environment when the dollar does well is when people are scared and they're just piling into safe haven assets. I think what's happening right now is more the first one where the US economy is doing better. Obviously, we are reopening. I think I talked about this last week. We had been in this stop and start cycle. Now we're just going to start and not stop anymore. So reopening, retail sales are good, the consumer is healthy, the consumer is spending, inflation is here, but it's not really taking a huge bite yet. So I think that's what part of the strength in the dollar is. The other piece is that if you look at moves in the dollar, they happen to coincide, coincidentally, with a lot of Fed statements. So what we heard this time from the Fed is that they were gonna start tapering, that inflation is maybe not as transitory as we thought, and then you saw this huge move up in inflation expectations. If you look at inflation expectations over two years, they've moved from 2.5% to 3.5%. That's a big jump in inflation. Probably not a surprise to any of us, but it does drive a move in the dollar because people start to expect that the Fed is going to hike rates sooner rather than later. I actually think that we should do a poll and all four of us should answer when we think the Fed is going to hike rates because I think the market is wrong but I'll give you a minute to prepare. Wait, wait.
2: Liz, would you want us to raise our hands here? No, but you know, that's been the story, I think. It's also the dollars rally over the last, let's call it few weeks, has been after these two really consecutive hot CPI um, and, and, you know, prints, right? And then expectations, forget about the taper, we all know, you and I have been talking about it, Guy and I have been talking about it for weeks now, we knew that was happening, but it really was those rate hike expectations being pulled forward, and I think that's that recent move that you see, and in Technically, it has been a breakout now. It's in this like kind of zone right here where there's some real resistance going back to, let's say, early uh, mid-2020 when we were in the throes of the pandemic. Liz, how do you think this shakes out, though? Are we on a runaway breakout here? Or I think there's a part of your blog where you see, at some point, you see some of this enthusiasm for the dollar fading a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a short-term tactical move. So if you were going to trade a move in the dollar, you probably missed most of it already. I think over the long term, when you look at obviously what's driving this is inflation expectations, dig deeper into inflation. And what's driving inflation is goods prices, not services prices yet. And the goods prices is the stuff that's probably going to relax as supply chains get figured out. Now, I don't think it's going to relax back to where it was but I think we come off these hot levels. So that's one of the factors that puts a lid on the dollar. The other thing is, and we talk about this all the time, the twin deficits, we're in a bunch of deficits in the United States, which usually is not good for the currency. That is still the case. That's likely to be the case for years to come. So that continues to put pressure on really the dollar's potential to fully break out and and have a sustained breakout. And then the last thing is, we have this new option now in the market, right? So when you look at inflation and you think about stores of value, gold hasn't done what we thought it would do. The dollar hasn't necessarily done what we thought it would do. And now people are turning to crypto. So you've got kind of a limited appetite for what was historically the store of value. Well, there's one thing
0: you haven't had to be tactical in is the broader market. you know, The SPX has just been, again, lower left to upper right. It's been pretty remarkable. We've seen small pullbacks, but they last day, day and a half. I mean. We can take a look at the chart just to, for illustration, but the market seems impervious to all this. Historically, a rising dollar would sort of create some headwinds for the broader market. That does not seem to be the case, at least not right now.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I don't think it's going to cause them immediately. There's kind of a lag effect, right? So there's another part of the article that I wrote today that is about what's in it for me, right? How does this affect my other assets? First of all, it affects commodities, makes them more expensive, especially the ones denominated in dollars. So you see that demand kind of fade off if the dollar stays strong. I think the biggest thing that is most directly impactful to markets is that 40% of the S&P's revenues come from abroad. A stronger dollar makes that a headwind. But you know what it's a tailwind for is small caps because 80% of the revenues in small caps are domestic. So you've got a little bit of an insulation in the small cap index just because they're not as exposed to some of those pressures from a stronger dollar.
0: Yeah, and before we look at the small cap, let's just take, well, there's a small cap now. So we'll go right to it. You see, we've been in this nine month sort of sideways action. We've talked about this for a while. We obviously had that huge ramp last fall into January. Then we subsequently went sideways for nine months. It appears as though, and I say appears because We have some interesting action going on now, but it appears as though we've broken out of this range. I know you've been a fan of the small caps. I watch you on all the different CNBC shows. You've been spot on. What are your thoughts here? Is this just sort of a back and fill, or is this something a bit more nefarious? Good word by me, by the way.
1: Great word by you. Uh, I think that this is just a little pause. I mean, we've seen a couple of pullbacks now, two down days in the market. Small caps, obviously a higher beta play. The dollar relaxed a little bit today. So the forces that drive that just from a tactical perspective, causing a little pause. But going through the end of the year into 2022, the case for small caps that I've made uh, in recent weeks stands.
2: Yeah. So, Liz, would, if you think about, though, um, you know, some of the things you're mentioning about, obviously, the dollar rising, it's keying off some inflation expectations. You would have thought that rates would be going higher, right? They announced the taper we just talked about. Fed rate hike odds have been pushed up here for future, or, you know, more rates than we thought um, go, or more hikes than we thought going higher by 2020 or the end of 2023. Excuse me. Sorry, I got to get this together here. Um, but why aren't rates going higher here? We're in this range. The 10 year U.S. Treasury yield, it seems to be banging around between look at that little wedge or whatever triangle you want to call here. Um, That resistance is pretty obvious and it's still below Mm -hmm. the highs of
1: earlier in this year. I think that's demand resistance. So there's people, there's obviously people clamoring for treasuries still. Also, even though the Fed is tapering, it's not very much, right? $15 billion a month is not that much in the grand scheme of things. It wasn't enough supply to put into the market to offset. huge demand from overseas. It also wasn't enough supply to offset the lowered issuance that's happening. So we continue to see the demand uh, overpower it. I think in 2022, though, it's going to be really, really interesting because there's a lot of central banks that might be ahead of the Fed on rate hikes. So we're going to start to see rates rise all over the globe, which could, after a while, make that demand for treasuries less because there might be other spots to go.
0: Um, Bitcoin is one that we have to watch now for a myriad of different reasons. You've had this 10% move to the downside, Liz. You know, again, in this, today's world, not all that alarming. But what are your thoughts on Bitcoin, not specifically price action, but just in terms of what it could possibly mean for some of the things you've just talked about for the last few minutes?
1: Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned, it's a new option in the space, right? And and I don't want to equate it to a dollar. It's not the same as fiat currency. It's not really a currency in my view. It's an asset class, but it's a new option in that space to think about how do we protect ourselves from inflation? How do we protect ourselves from monetary policy differing around the globe. We've been in this period where central banks have really moved in the same direction and everybody's rowed their boat in the same direction. Now we're starting to break off and we'll see what happens. I think there's going to be a lot of volatility in the yield curve, both up and down, for a few months to come. And Crypto is one of those places that you can park money. It is volatile, but you can park money and it's not affected by a lot of those same forces.
0: I always thought uh, after college, I made the mistake of not joining the crew team because I would have enjoyed rowing to your point. We thank you for <laughs> joining us as always, uh, Liz Young. It's been wonderful. Where can people, by the way, find you on Twitter and find your work, if
1: you will? You can find me on Twitter at Liz Young Strat, and you can find me on SoFi's blog. There's a whole section for investment strategy.
0: Sign up for SoFi's daily newsletter at SoFi.com slash daily to read Liz's articles every Thursday. Liz Young, thank you for joining us here on Market Call. We dig your work and we dig you. Now we're going to bring in, Dan, um, one of our all-time favorites, the great CBW. You know, we've heard some of the things we just talked about, Dan. It's remarkable to me that this market continues just to sort of shrug off everything lower left, upper right, as I mentioned earlier. I'm sure CBW has some thoughts. Before we get to him, Dan, any thoughts on what Liz just said?
2: Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. We spent some time last week talking about the breakout in the Russell. And, and, you know, when she talks about um, the dollar strength here and 80 percent of those uh, small cap names in the Russell 2000 uh, or or they get 80 percent of the revenues, let's say domestically, they're not as um, you know, they, they just don't have the same risk about a rising dollar for their, um, you know, revenues overseas, that sort of thing. I think it's interesting, though, that over the last couple of days, as the dollar has been strong, the small caps have come in. But I want to say this about inflation, and you know where I feel about that. Um, you know, Carl Quintanilla from CNBC had a tweet out this morning. I thought it was really interesting. Coal futures down 55% in the last month. Baltic Dry Index at a five-month low. Gasoline futures at a one-month low. Um, we might be in a period where inflation expectations have just peaked and they might be coming down. Carter Braxton Worth Break the tie for us. Welcome to Market Call. Thanks for joining us here, man. You heard what we were just saying. What are your thoughts about inflation and what it means for the dollar, what it means for rates, and what it means for stocks right here?
3: Well, I mean, the key thing is this is that there's something that doesn't connect with the cost of 10 year government money stuck at one, 1.5, one, 1.6, depending on your day, and the notion that somehow there's uh, longer term inflation. That is not what. Uh, the rate environment is suggesting, and so we know that uh, things um, in the equity market get bid up in advance. Let's take the Russell in the conversation uh, that's uh, taking place. Right, the, the Russell two thousand in the first week of March was up twenty two percent. Right now, it's up twenty one percent, meaning it hasn't done anything in ten months. It mm-hmm. was the cyclical trade; it was loved but it is now actually underperforming the S&P year to date. So the question is, is this breakout a false breakout? And I think that's what's going on here. Uh, You've had this big range, which we know, which in sequencing terms makes sense after that huge move out of the gate, big move out of the gate, big consolidation, and then a tepid minor breakout that is already faltering. Um, And so that is the cyclical trade, uh, that is the beta trade, And yet we're seeing an iron ore and you're seeing it in uh, the way copper is rolling over and other sort of sensitive areas of the global scene that the inflation story is probably not what it appears to be.
0: Nothing really is. And, you know, maybe crude, maybe you have a false breakout there, CBW, you brought a crude chart along with you. And, you know, I've thought for a while crude will continue to grind higher. Maybe, maybe once again, not unlike the Russell, we're seeing a false breakout here in crude oil. To the penny, as you say, and this chart illustrates that, Carter.
3: It sure does. So that's an internal trend line when you draw the trend line along the tops, and it's failed to the penny three times. And, uh, you know, that's a great look. In fact, chart, the colors are clear, the arrows are clear. And what the implication is, is that the drawdowns that preceded this one, this one being down only 9%. Or more severe you can see the one there at 15 the one at 19 and so the question is are is is wti crude going to sort of escape with just a 10 percenter um, i think not but either way which is more important unless you're uh, investing in crude itself uh on the NYMEX, energy stocks continue to not deliver the hoped for performance that the street is called for
0: it's interesting. You've been spot on this one. And Dan, I give Dan kudos as well. I mean, you guys have called this. It really low. looks as though we're going to sort of fail and continue lower. We'll see what happens to the energy names, the stocks. Copper, obviously, is the other one that everyone's wants talk about in terms of reflation trade, reopening trade, and sort of the granddaddy of all the commodities. Uh, this one looks like it's at extraordinarily important uh, uptrend line.
3: Indeed. Um, and so... One thing to consider is if you have a big uptrend, okay, and then you give back, sell off, draw down a certain amount to, and then return to the former high from which you sold off, but can't clear it and back away as this is done, you have the prospects of a double top. A break below this trend will confirm that. And that is a very bearish development for what is in many ways the marquee commodity uh, in the sense that, you know, oil has. Uh, supply-demand dynamics that can be manipulated, if you will, uh, by certain players on the scene, but not copper. And uh, I don't think it looks good.
0: You know, if I were in grade school and they've asked me to spell marquee, I would spell it M-A-R-K-E-Y. Clearly that'd be incorrect. Good thing I'm not in grade school. But when I was in grade school, the movie Jaws came out, and one of the great lines was, Mary Ellen Moffat, she broke my heart. I'm sure some of you Jaws fans know exactly what I'm saying. But Moffat Nathanson might have broken some hearts here in Roku. What a tremendous segue by me, by the way. Downgraded the stock to sell from neutral. They slashed their price target to 220. This stock has been in trouble now for a while. We're gonna take a look at three charts. Dan Nathan, what are your thoughts here? I say late to the dance, but you know what? They've actually done a good job here, and they are the axe in the space.
2: Yeah, I guess before we talk, uh, think about the, the the technicals here, we got to think about the fundamentals. I mean, this was a company that even last year, you know, this was supposed to be a real beneficiary of some of the trends that were going on in tech and media. Um, in the pandemic here. The company was losing money. It was trading at a multiple of its sales, which just absolutely made no sense here. So now here we are at 236. Guy, you're the double top guy here. You tell me what that thing looks like um, going back to the summer here. This thing was almost 500 bucks. It's been cut in half or so. And I think we're seeing that more and more. You know, Um, But I guess the broader point I would make from a macro standpoint is as we lost some of these big pandemic winners, the market has broadened out, and that's why the S&P and the NASDAQ are back at all-time highs. I don't really care anymore um, about these sorts of names, but I guess- From a fundamental standpoint, there was no valuation support. The deceleration that was going to happen in some of the trends that made it such a huge stock market winner, um, you know, back in 2020 and then into this summer have just been decelerating. And that's what investors are starting to price in and re-rate a lot of stocks on. But that chart, Carter, get in here, man, because we are really back towards 52-week lows uh, after being cut in half in a matter of three or four months.
3: I think the important circumstance here is, because it speaks to methodology, technique, it speaks to history, right? Is that, is this any different than the copper chart? Meaning a big uptrend, circumstance one, a meaningful give back to trend, circumstance two, a recovery back to the former high that you can't make it, can't clear it. And then whereas copper is back to the trend line, Roku has broken well below it. And so that in a way is a roadmap or perhaps a preview of coming attractions for copper, but it's clearly a double top. And I think we've got other charts here, other ways to draw the lines. If you look at the the next one, I mean, basically, you can call it a, a failed wedge. And you can also see that it's whatever range you want to characterize, it's broken every key level. And the truth is, there is no support. It's free to move lower.
0: As Eddie Murphy said, there's no floor here. And this third chart sort of illustrates that. I know there's some coming to America fans out there that are chuckling right now. CBW. Talk to me here because this seems as though, you know, that critical support has now once again been broken. This stock, to me, it has room another probably $40 or $50 lower until it finds its floor. Am I reading this correctly?
3: I I think that's exactly the read, right? We know that it couldn't hold above the prior intermediate low, and it's broken sharply at that precise level, hence the red line drawn. And so at this point, What stops it? Just some midair stick save, I stop going down? That's unlikely. At some point, it will be overdone. You'll get a a counter trend bounce. Someone's deciding it's worth it, it's cheap. But why be that first person? You just don't step into, we have adages in the market. One of them is called catch the falling knife, i.e. don't do it. But I wouldn't say this is catching the falling knife, because you could kind of jump out of the way of a knife. This is like catch the falling piano, no good.
0: Funny, Carter invoked some Marv Albert hockey stuff. I caught that. I hope our fans did as well. The next call out of UBS, Dan Nathan, upgrading Visa. You know what? I like this. The stock has been under pressure. We've seen over the last couple of years sell-offs of this magnitude in both Visa and Mastercard. Obviously, the last um, leg down in Visa and Mastercard, went in the back of some of this Amazon news. I think the UBS analyst is taking this opportunity. The average price target, as uh, according to FactSet, is two seventy-five and changed. What are your thoughts on this, Dan? Because, you know, sometimes you got to play a little stock market. I think that's what UBS is doing right now.
2: Yeah, and they did it after the news came out, and there was a big gap. And the stock is down about twenty percent from its highs, all-time highs in July. I think what's most important about this is this is one of this was one of, and still is actually one of the biggest stocks in the entire market. It's got a four hundred and forty billion dollar market cap, which is not keeping pace with the S and P five hundred or many names that you might think it's associated with. This is a big piece of fundamental news. This is the sort of news that I think people will generally say, "Oh, well, Amazon is not taking UK visa charges because of." charges well we know that will kind of work itself out a little bit but it might be it might signal somewhat of a sea change And i think the other point we we're just talking about valuation i mean visa is stock that trades at 29 times this year's expected earnings that are supposed to go up 19 percent maybe that's a little too low maybe it's too high but it trades at a big premium to the market if there's a reason why it shouldn't trade at a premium to the market maybe it's some of these fintech upstarts maybe it's going to be some sort of actions uh you know like we just saw in the uk um, with Amazon here, who knows? But at the end of the day, might it have found some support? That's why we have Carter here to help us out. But Carter, I'm also really interested to hear what you think about a 450 billion dollar market cap company not keeping pace with the S and P 500 that's up 25 percent on the year. is now down 7 percent on the year.
3: That's right, and I think it's a it's a it's a circumstance of it was such a great winner for such a long period of time. In fact, uh, at in August, uh, it was trading at 50 times. And so perhaps it was a little rich uh, and is due for and indeed has seen a meaningful, a give back, a a sort of correcting of the valuation. But what we know is it's a a well-defined break out of a formation um, that often is not easily recouped. You don't bounce easily from this. So while there is some support here to be fair, unlike a Roku, Um, I wouldn't step into this kind of thing. I would let the dust settle. If we have a longer-term chart, and I think we do, this is the real risk here, Mm -hmm. is that's going back, and, and that's a logarithmic chart, and it is sitting to the penny on that trend line that's been in effect for the past 15, 20 years. I mean, a break here is not good, and my hunch is that it does break.
0: It's funny, Carter, when Morticia Adams spoke French, Gomez got so excited. And when you say to the penny, I find myself with the same thing. Square is the next one we want to look at, uh, Dan Nathan, because Square is right at this trend line. We've loved Square for a while. Jack Dorsey obviously doing a great job, in my opinion, both Square and Twitter, but Pretty important support here, Dan. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think this space is really fascinating because it really encompasses a couple major themes that are going on in the market. Obviously, we've seen um, as rates have risen in 2021, you know, there's a lot of financial-oriented companies that have done really well, but they haven't risen enough where tech companies, you know, or a lot of these valuations have been hurt too much. So if you put the the finance and the tech together, you get fintech, right? And fintech is one of the major themes here. I do think it's interesting, though. Again. This goes back to like Roku, you know, Square and PayPal, which we're going to look at in a second. These were huge beneficiaries of some of just the kind of byproducts of the lockdowns during uh, the pandemic, a lot of uh, buy now uh, with a button or peer-to-peer payments or digital payments in general. Well, those trends are decelerating, right? And so the valuations that these companies were being um, assigned you know, uh, just a year ago or six months ago, they're kind of now being rethought a little bit. I would mention the other thing, and I know, Guy, you and I talked about this a little bit. When Square made that $29 billion acquisition of uh, the company, the buy now, pay later, Company, we were like, "Eh, maybe it's a little style shift. That's a big deal. Was it all cash deal uh, or all stock deal? You know, I don't know. This thing seems stuck in the mud. Carter's chart is going to say it better hold right here. That's my take, Carter.
3: I think that's about right. Meaning, again, a similar circumstance that history uh, shows is key to figuring out whether it's okay or better be okay or not. So that we have a big uptrend, you have a give back, you return to the former high, couldn't clear it. So a double top in effect, and now back to that trend line. Exactly what happened to Roku, Roku broke. Copper on the cusp. Do they all break? No. Tesla was doing this kind of thing and ultimately broke out. But the point is, it needs to hold right here. With new money, do you get involved? No. Let let it perk up a little bit. Stay away.
2: Yeah, well, this is really interesting because that chart right there was the PayPal, and it looks very similar to the square chart, right, where it's sitting right on that long-term Uptrend, but PayPal broke. Square's sitting there. And I have to think that we're likely to see a test of that, despite the fact we've already gotten through their earnings. I think it was about a week or so, guy, right? What is your take on the space right here? Because we want to be constructive on these companies and their prospects of the future. It really does come down possibly to valuation here. And now all of a sudden, some major competition. One of the things that I think we're going to see in 2022 is some of these big incumbents. And you know, you said it yourself. Jamie Dimon's like, hey, why are these fintech guys been able to run free, you know what I mean? As we're regulated, might they, like, have the same range if they were regulated? What's your take here? Because I think we're going to see the big incumbents start to make some big moves in the fintech uh, space, maybe through M&A. It's
0: interesting about PayPal. I think the technicals caught up with it first. You obviously see those double tops, that horizontal line there. And then you heard the news about potentially, obviously, denied it later. But the Pinterest news, I would say, where there's smoke, there's fire. And to me, what that signified was maybe PayPal was looking for growth somewhere. Maybe they felt as if they've exhausted their growth and they need to find it somewhere else. I don't think the street particularly liked the fact that they were even considering it. And then you obviously had the earnings release where the stock was either side of 220, had a brief move up to 225, and then the subsequent washout. None of this is particularly good. I haven't seen that capitulatory selling that you need to to find the bottom. I'm curious to what Carter thinks, but... I still think there's some room to the downside here in PayPal. Now, all of a sudden, valuation matters, whereas the prior nine months, nobody cared.
3: That's right. And, and interestingly, it's the same setup again, whereas SQ at the critical juncture, PayPal having succumbed at the critical juncture. The question is, I think, the most nuanced, and there is a bit of support, and you can see it there in the chart. Is it a pairs trade here? Is it maybe long PayPal, short SQ? My inclination is to put that on.
0: I love when you say inclination. I tell you, I could listen to you read the phone book. The dulcet tones of Carterworth reading the yellow pages. Brought to you by maybe that I don't know. I mean, maybe the guys at Open Exchange will dig that. I know I do. You know what else I dig though is Butters, John Butters. It's like a bond thing. His one for the road today: Supply Chain, Dan Nathan, three hundred and thirty-two of the five hundred companies. So. Even I can do that math. That's like 66% or so of the companies in the S&P 500 have mentioned supply chain. You know why? Because they can. The industrials, obviously, the highest number of companies make sense. Material stocks, consumer staples. I mean, we are seen all across the board people using the supply chain as an excuse or just sort of embedded in there. But you know what? Market doesn't seem to care, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, you
2: know what? If you had asked me about a month or two ago, Guy, I would have told you the Bits versus Adams things. It makes sense that the industrial companies that rely on these supply chains, right, to get parts, to move things around, all that sort of stuff, that those sorts of disruptions would be something that would be top of mind anytime they had the opportunity to talk to investors here. The fact that tech falls in there, we know there's plenty of industrial tech. There was one point. Remember last month when Snapchat went down 25% in a straight line? Now, they had some issues as it related to I, iOS and 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 just data and that sort of thing but they also mentioned the supply chain some of the advertisers on their platform because they're having a, a hard time getting product that means they're selling less product that means they're advertising less and I thought less I thought that was really interesting listen I think we said it with Liz earlier on. I think some of these fears are going to start to um, abate a little bit. Inflation, um, it seems to be. That was what we talked about last week with Butters. It seems like that is the hot button issue right here. It just seems that when we think back to some of these price movements and some of these industrial commodities, how they're coming off a little bit, Baltic Dry Index, I think we probably peaked in these expectations. And while we might see these numbers go up a little bit, The companies, the managements are going to be late to kind of calling it out. They have no upside by saying everything's all freed up. Does that make sense a little bit here? Makes sense to me.
0: CBW, what are your thoughts? We got about 15 seconds left.
3: Well, uh, speaking of industrials, it's important uh, that one of the, again, most favored sectors that's tied to a so-called recovery or continued economic expansion is badly underperforming the S&P.
0: Love you, CBW. Dan Nathan, I love you. By the way, we got a special news bulletin. I love that. It's like, you know, breaking news. I love doing that. It's like very exciting for me. December 8th, 12 noon, live market call, 2022 outlook. We are talking earnings, energy, and ESG, the three E's. Join us for a live and lively, as you know, 30-minute discussion on these three themes and how to identify both opportunities and risks In 2022, that will be sponsored by FactSet. Dan and I will be joined by FactSet's best and brightest. Henrik Bartel, Senior Director of ESG Strategy. And you know who else, man. John Butters, Senior Earnings Analyst. And Catherine Miller, President of the BT. I mean, we got it all going on with FactSet on December 8th. I'm digging this. By the way, I want to thank our guests, Liz Young and Carter Braxton Worth. If you like the financial data and earnings content shared during the market call, Subscribe to FactSet's Insight blog at insight.factset.com to access more great content. Today's episode of Market Call was brought to you by our presenting sponsors, and we got three of them FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow, SoFi, get your money right all in one app. And of course, our friends and Dan Carter, they are our friends at Open Exchange because, in fact, They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Listen, next Thursday is Thanksgiving. Wishing you all a happy Thanksgiving to you and your families. Thanks for joining us. We will see you on December 1st.